We, need a, we have to have a heaven the same way as there's a hell. If we're good, we think we go to heaven. If we're bad, we think we go to hell. What happened to us in the beginning? All of humanity was cursed with a curse because of the decisions we make and the way we live and what we entertain in our mind. It's called a fall of man. It happened in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam and Eve. Well, sad to say, but every one of us in here have a nature that we can kind of cater to, and it's called a sin nature, the fallen nature of, of man. And we can get enticed with a lot of things that, that we can have into our life. But, what, but with knowing that, we think, well, how do I get better? How can I improve? How can I increase in my walk with God or my walk with my fellow man? We get better as a person, as a believer. Because something in here is missing. Something in here is missing that presence of God. And it compels all of us and it moves upon all of us. Go to Luke chapter 16, if you will. You know, I was talking about listening to a bunch of Jews, and that's fine. No, it isn't fine. I listened to a bunch of Jews, and they were saying they don't believe in hell. They believe in maybe a God, and, and they believe in a, a Judaism. But very few, and they don't believe in the devil, don't believe in demons, don't believe in things that uh, have a war against us. And I, I'm a little confused on some of the, the teaching of some of those. But there was a scripture in, in Luke chapter 16. We have a gentleman here. He was, he was very prosperous in the world. And, and if, matter of fact, at that time, a lot of people would think, I would like to beat him. i like to be his best friend. i like to go places with him. i like to do things with him. But go to chapter 16 of Luke and verse 19. There was a certain rich man, which is clothed with purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus was a very common name during the biblical times, which is laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the man's table. Moreover, the, dog came, the dogs came and they licked on the sores of Lazarus. And it came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said unto Lazarus, and he dipped his, the tip of his finger in water and cooled my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Remember that thou in, the lifetime, in thy lifetime received the good things, and likewise the Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Does this mean that if you have a lot of wealth or you have a, a lot of riches that you're automatically going to hell? No, it doesn't. It has to do with choices. And every one of us have a lot of choices laying right before us. What we embrace, what we don't embrace. What we allow into our life, what we don't allow into our life. You may be here for the first time, you may be thinking, oh man, I came on a day like this, we're going to talk about hell. I hope that in this message, you can see the reality of it. I'm not going to sit here and spit brimstone and fire down your throat. But I want you to understand the circumstances that fall upon each and every one of us if we don't accept Christ as our Savior. I'm not trying to scare anybody or, or anything else like that manner. I want us to think about everything in our life. So we have this rich man. He, he uh, acquired a lot of things, and it was good, and, and, he, and he enjoyed life to its fullest. But then he, when, he, when eternity started, he recognized you know, he hadn't done things right. I want, I want to point something out. Nowhere in this scripture... Nowhere does this guy begin to make excuses for why he ended up being in the place that he is. He doesn't. 
he understands why he is there. He understood that he probably knew the, the, the Torah. He knew things the way that he should have done things, but he didn't do them that way. And he knew the reason he was in torment. He asked for a tip of Lazarus' finger, and that's cool, I guess, for him. Jump down to verse 27. We'll see in just a second. The reason that each and every one of us need to know what God's word says about salvation, repentance. See, in the book of Acts chapter 4, it says, There is no other name under heaven that we can be saved under except the name of Jesus. That is what separates us from every other religion, every other doctrine, every other thing in the world. And Buddhists can't say that, Hindus can't say that. They can say that they have the knowledge and they have all these uh, religious facts about why they do what they do. But there's something about Jesus. He can go through and just transform our life. And this man's life had never been transformed. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, verse 27, that thou would ascend as him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Something about him changed afterwards. And let me tell you, many times things change in our life after we've been caught, after we've been exposed, after we've been found guilty, after we've seen something in our life that, that we shouldn't have done, we've been involved in. We see the, the, the need for repentance then. And he saw the need too, and, but he didn't make excuses for himself. He knew why he was there. But he was so determined, could you please send Lazarus back? Didn't ask for himself to go back. Didn't ask for a second chance. He asked you to Lazarus go back and touch my, tell my brothers. And his response from, from Father Abraham to him, he said, if he will not listen to the teachers of the law, he won't listen if I sent, Abraham back, I mean, sent Lazarus back. You know, the whole time that he was going out of his gate where he lived and things, he would, he would see Lazarus, and he never seen Lazarus. Have you ever noticed that some people just are, are invisible? I preached a message on this once, invisible people. They're not invisible to God, but they're invisible to us. How we put so much emphasis on certain people, but we don't put any emphasis on the less fortunate or those who don't have as much. Because that's what Lazarus was. He didn't take a lot of notice to him while he was alive on earth. But it's amazing how much focus he had on Lazarus that he was willing to send him back to his brothers that his brothers might be spared. Like many of us, he didn't notice the unimportant people. While in pain, he could see Lazarus. No words of why him, no remarks of the unjust situation. He knew why he was there, and there was no excuses, but he had new concerns, and it was his brothers. So the first thing about hell, it's real. The second thing about hell, it's a painful place. Physically, if you look in Matthew, I'm going to skip through these pretty quickly because I have several scriptures to read to you this morning. 13 verse 41 
The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom the things that offend, and them that which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is a painful place. You know, I remember, I've told this story before, but I remember spankings, and maybe you don't know what they are, or maybe your kids don't, maybe they do. When I was, uh, they should know if they don't. They probably should experience them, maybe a little more consistently, but with, with a little restraint and a little bit of wisdom. And um, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I've told this story before, but my brother and I decided we was going to have a duke it out fight outside the church door. I mean, we had a small church, and we had one door in, one door out. Walk outside the church, there's about eight foot of a, a sidewalk poured concrete, and there's some other concrete. And my brother and I were about 10 feet away from the front door, and man, we were just about to unload on each other. I think there was a few blows exchanged after he got up off the ground. <coughs> my dad walked out, and uh, just kidding. My dad walked out and said, looked at us in only a way that Marvin could. Marvin was my father. He looked at us. My dad had a Sophia Lorraine gap in his front teeth. He went, he did this. I knew that meant, oh, we're in trouble. So after church, we got in the car, went out the ridge, what we called in Kentucky, out the holler and out the ridge, out the, this matters. Went to our little house, and I, we had lunch and stuff. I thought, dad forgot. Dad forgot. He ain't going to kill us. And after we got to eat, and dad said, hey, boys. I thought, oh, no. Squat on here on the on the carport, and my dad was so such a graceful man. He just bought my mother a new uh, uh, couch and stuff for the living room, but the couch was outside, and it was at a perfect place. He said, "Lean over the couch." Well, I'm one of these guys back in that time. All he had to do was raise his hand. You know what started? <laughs> I was already tearing it up, and I was letting it out. You know, I knew what was coming, and he commenced to striping my legs with a switch. Switch, wore me out, and I'll tell you what, I thought I had been killed. Twice. Well done. My brother, in all his robust buffness, leaned over the couch, and my dad's going, whack. My brother never says a word. He was defying anything that that discipline was supposed to do in expressing of pain. My brother fought him. What was my point in telling you that? I have no idea. Do you know, honey? Oh, hell is a painful place. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, let me tell you something. We could talk about something like hell. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. If you know what's right, and what's wrong, you know how to avoid hell. That's, that's the whole purpose. We know how to avoid. We'll get that in just a minute. Revelation chapter Verse 10. And the same drink 
The same should drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into a cup of his indignation. For he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This is talking about prophetical. There's some other things going on here, but, but it's, it's going to be a bad time. It's going to be a, a sad time. In Mark chapter 9, you don't have to go there. Chapter 9, verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better to enter into, the, into life maimed than with two hands into hell. And to the fire that it shall never be quenched. For the worm dieth not, and, there is not, and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better to enter into life with only than having two feet. Halt, than enter into life with two feet, and never, have, never shall be quenched. And where the worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. And if the eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and being cast into hell fire. Wherefore, the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Um, the thing about hell, let me just talk to you just a minute. The thing about hell, we think about all these terrible things about physical pain and and because we know what a discipline, my discipline, my father gave me was about pain. It was make, it caused me to never get into a fight again. And you know what? My brother and I never, ever, ever, never, never got into another fight outside of the church. We got into fights, but we didn't get into a fight outside of the church. You may think that's, let me tell you something. I just had one memory that my brother wanted to fight. I had a memory, went back to that ridge at Orlando, leaned over the, the couch, and I remember those stripes on my leg. I didn't have I, no desire. Didn't matter how mad I was, I didn't want to, to get back in that. I'm going to make reference to this. The thing about loneliness, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes 1 in, in chapter 1, verse 11. It talks about the former things will no longer be thought of. And I, you can like it or not, but there's something that happens in a person's life when they feel like nobody cares. Nobody can remember them. Nobody. You may think that it won't happen like that, but Scripture says it will. The former things are passed away. In Revelation chapter 24, it talks about he'll remove and he'll, not chapter 24, uh, chapter 21, verse 4. He'll remove all tears from their eyes. There's something about the sorrow that we carry with us if we got into eternity and realized that somebody was lost. If my wife wasn't there, my daughter wasn't there, my sons weren't there, in the presence of the Lord, it would be overwhelming. There's certain things that would be forgotten, and I would hate to think that I had to spend eternity totally knowing that nobody remembered me. May not may not matter to you, but it does to me. My kids matter. My wife matters. Believe it or not, you all matter. It's lonely. You know it's painful. Go to Revelation chapter twenty.
And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, for there was no place, no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before the Lord, and the books were open, and other books were shown open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, and death and hell were delivered up uh, the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whoever was, whoever, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Everybody is to be judged. Like it or not, they are to be judged. The third place is not painful necessarily, but it is eternal. Go to Second Thessalonians, if you will. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Who shall, punish, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of, of his power? And he that shall, he that, hmm, said 8 and 9. In flame and fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God and obey not what the gospel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. In other words, it's going to be eternal. You know, we're going to get into something in just a minute about people who think that uh, hell is not eternal. Hell is, is, is temporary. And I'll explain it to you in just a minute, some different views that people have. There's so much scripture. I'm going to share one more thing with you here, and I'm going to jump to the, the next part. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came into me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hunger, and gave thee feed and food, fed thee, and thirsty, gave you drink? And when saw thee a stranger, and took thee in, and naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came and visited thee, came unto thee? And the king shall answer, saying to them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as you have done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So then shall he say unto those on his left hand, Depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's something about, something happens. Has anybody in here ever known someone to absolutely have a transformation when they met Christ? I mean a transformation. A person that never cared about anybody. A person that always done what was best for them. But something happened when they came to Christ. I made reference to this last week. I mean absolutely turn, turned them around. You, even their countenance. I often make remarks about James Ricklaw. When James Ricklaw first came to church, he was, uh, he won't get mad at me because he, he knows. 
he was the kind of guy that was on the weekends, he had his 24-pack in his canoe, and he was going to the river with his sons and somebody else, and they were going floating, and, and he was going to have a big time on the river just the way he was. Well, I remember right before we got saved, I remember going to Ondigo, and uh, he had a pair of cutoff short jeans and had a sleeveless tank uh, shirt on, and went in there, and he was buying his beard, and I just talked to him like, because I've known him ever since we lived here, and I just talked to him like normal. And that was James. That's just what I, I thought of. When I, when I thought of somebody, I thought of James being that way. But another, the next time I seen him, approximately, was the night that Debbie had left and went back to Illinois. His life was tore up. He was he kept trying to put pieces together. And she'd be gone for, I guess, a week or two, I don't know. But he called me to come out and pray with him. And, and I remember, again, the cutoff, cutoff shorts is about 5 in the morning, I think. And he had no shirt on. He had on flip-flops and the shorts, and, his, and that's all he had. He had long hair. And we just prayed. There was something that happened that day. Something happened in him. And the same thing can happen in each and every one of us in here. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too complicated. No, not too many. You haven't violated too many laws or too many rules. Something transformed him. I remember him coming to church after that, and right after that, he was always in church. And, and for six or seven months, Debbie was still in Illinois. She wasn't coming home. He was, he was on his own. And, and I remember him praying about a variety of things. But my boys would come home, and they'd say, there's something wrong with James, man. There's something, there's something about him. He looks different. He don't, he'll look as dark or dirty as he used to. There's something, a transformation that's taking place. Why? There is a transformation. Something happened in him that, that had great value, and, it, and he wasn't afraid of hell. He knew his whole life was in shambles. Listen here. It doesn't matter if you're not afraid of hell. It's the principle behind everything in your life, and nothing is adding up, and nothing is working right. Nothing. You're sick of it. Hell's real and painful and forever. I don't ever want to be one of those guys that tries to scare people. I don't think I can scare anybody. I'll go up to the little boys here, and I'll grab some of you young men, you know, like Caleb and somebody, and I'll put my arms around them, and, and I'll Curtis or whatever, and I'll say, you scared? And they laugh. <laughs> and they say, no, no, I'm a bit scared. And I'm not a scary kind of guy. I'm glad I'm not a scary kind of guy. I noticed that when people are scared into things, now listen, folks, I had an incredible mom, incredible dad, and had great parents. But the way I was raised in the time and frame in, in the 80s and in the 70s and 80s when I was raised, early 80s, <laughs> 70s and early 80s, uh, everybody, their view of God was different. Listen, if you didn't know God back in the 80s and 70s, Every little thing you could possibly do wrong, you were going to hell. If, you're, if my hair, I remember my hair. If my hair touched my collar, I'm gone. I'm serious. Hair can't touch your ears. You know what I look like? I, I may have said this before, but I had my hair cut up above my ears and straight across in the back. But I had bangs down there right here. As the only place I could have long hair was in the front. We become so religious, we lost out. The intimacy 
of our relationship with the Lord. When people try to deal with it, the reality of hell, they begin to look for loopholes. And this is what I'm going to share with you. Look for loopholes and try to lessen the severity of hell. And the first one you have, you may be this way, it may be what you think, maybe, I don't know. How many ever heard of universalism? Universalism means this, everybody goes to heaven. Universalism, everybody. It doesn't matter how horrible they've been, doesn't matter what they believe, they can, they can be an agnostic or an atheist and dog God all their life, but when they die, they, they go to heaven. Nobody's excused. Um, but the reason they say that in, in John, John 12, 32, I remember sharing this with Paul once, and I believe it's here in the church. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Man, that's a powerful scripture. But they take that scripture to mean that everybody in the whole world, if God, if Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he was. And he died. So everybody in the whole world just sees him and they, adore, and they don't have to adore him, they don't have to like him. But they're automatically ushered into heaven. That's the first person. Annihilationist. How many of you have ever heard of annihilationist? Who knows what, uh, to annihilate something, you what? Annihilationists, only the good go to heaven. All others are simply annihilated. So that means you're a good person, somebody tells you you're good, you feel like you're doing good, and everybody else, when it, when it comes time for judgment, they're just burnt up, zapped, no longer, no longer exists. That's convenient, isn't it? That's convenient for everybody who wants to live the way they want to live. No need to repent. No need to do anything. And the last one that I've got written down here, I'd like the worship team to come back if they would. The last group of people that have a, a different theory of, of hell, they have a place that you go when you die. How many's ever heard of purgatory? How many knows exactly what purgatory is? Well, first of all, it isn't a place, so you don't need to know, but the Catholic Church and some other people, they begin to believe that everybody goes to purgatory. And in purgatory, if everybody in here, say that 20 of us were not, uh, when the Rapture of the church takes place against a lot of the things. But instead of going to hell, you go to purgatory. You go to purgatory and, and you get all these things that you need to do right and what wasn't right in your life, you begin to work on them and God begins to work in your life and work on those things. And finally, you get out of purgatory and you get to go to heaven. These three things are extremely convenient but extremely misleading. Heaven is, is so incredible, and we'll talk about that another time. But hell is to shun. There is a heaven to gain. My father said this so many times as a kid growing up. I remember him saying, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Folks, there is a hell to shun. The good news in closing 
is that hell is avoidable. It's an avoidable place. It's hot, yes, forever, but this is the most important part. It is avoidable. You don't have to go there. Only certain people, you almost have to work your way to into that place. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. See, the nature of God is not about hell. Never, it isn't. Hell was designated and designed for, you know, a different kind of being, for angels, for Satan and Lucifer himself, at a place designed that they will not escape and they would be put there because they, you know what, the, the tax, listen, the tax of Satan and all of his demonic angels, their whole agenda has been to destroy you and destroy me. And give us a false sense of hope and begin to think that there's nothing for us. That's why hell was created in the first place. Can you think of another place that God's not willing that any should perish? John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is this. God sent not his son into the world to do what? But through him. But through him. Through his son. We have salvation. We have redemption. We have a, a different way of, of having to deal with the afterlife. That's what it's all about. some people to come up here like you to come up at this time one of the hardest things in life for some people and some people man it's easy we're having an altar call that's what we're doing that's what this whole service was about even the worship in the, in the beginning everything about it was about drawing us to this point and drawing hopefully you to, to some place of recognizing I've got to make a decision. Tell ugly, you better believe it. It's a scary, unbelievably scary. And it's forever. And it's painful. But there's a way to avoid going to hell.